You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 466, quizzing on the freeway in bottom gear, Jimi Hendrix and the 27 Club, and brothers in bands, breakups and makeups. That's all coming up after 13 senses and into the fire. It's a little troubling when you find a band hasn't updated their website for over four years, but apparently they are still a going concern um, from Penzance in Cornwall and with a single that reached number 35 in the UK in 2004, 13 senses and into the fire. 
I really like that tune. I always thought they were, uh, they could have been bigger than they were, if you see what I mean. Yeah. I, at one point, they might, you know, they're sort of epic kind of widescreen music. I thought, you know, they might do an embrace, they might do an elbow, you know, that sort of thing. And yet it never quite, you say they are still going, cause, which I'm pleased about, but it never quite happened for them at the time. And I, I'm sorry about that. They, they did a very nice version. I think it was for Radio 1, but you can get it elsewhere of Last Christmas by Wham. And there's something very sort of wistful about them and I've, I've always enjoyed them they're, they're, they're sort of epic but not in a bombastic way so uh, 13 senses if only everybody had had enough sense to get into them <laughs> very good well hello thanks for joining us for the parish council podcast it's episode 466 i'm terence stackham and here's our chance to end all the speculation and get to the truth is it true you're moving to America to take over the Ellen show, um, Juliet Harris? <laughs> I mean, my friend then listed all the famous Ellens and went, oh, they could get Ellen Burstyn to do it. And then they wouldn't have to change any of the branding. Unfortunately, I do not have Ellen in my name. Um, I don't know. I quite like being nice to people. So maybe American oh. Prime Time TV is not the place for me. I don't know. You've got no chance then. No, it's never going to work, is it? But anyway, I'm happy to be here with you on this podcast with all the lovely people that take time to listen to us. Hello. Let's start um, with a section I'm calling Quizzing on the Freeway and Bottom Gear. I like this. It's a, this is this is a little bit um it's a little bit cryptic. I quite like it. After a few months where there were hardly any cars on the road and and what a joy that was, um, it feels like we're back to pre-pandemic levels of rush hours and traffic jams and all the old stresses. Let's try and cheer ourselves up with a musical quiz all about motor vehicles and the surfaces upon which they travel. Oh, yes. I'm going to play you, Juliet Harris, and hmm. you, the listener. Hello there, Juliet. Are you there? I'm here. I, I'm, I'm ready and waiting to receive your call, caller. I'm going to play you clips from 10 songs. And from those clips, you have to identify 10 things to do with motoring in the UK and America. One point for the artist, one for the song. So there's 20 points available. This, Twelve... is, this is super sore away, summer special, oh, isn't it? This it is really huge. Is I had to turn my song to get a bigger page. It's going, to, it's going to take forever to get through, but there we are. We've got all day. <laughs> well, um, I, I love the fact that you're, in, you're embracing this. <laughs> so 20 points available, Juliet. Um, 12 is good. Mm. Um, 15, I'll call you a music know-all. <laughs> 18 genius level uh 20 out of this world Tw yeah tw 20 well uh, yeah 20 i might go and have a solo podcast in korea asking myself quiz questions but who knows let's see now um there's an easy one to get you going thank you Saturday night, I guess that makes it all right. You see, whatever. 
usual sense of fair play i think all but one of those released and uh, way before you were born <laughs> so. <laughs> oh wow it is what it is isn't it i i did a thing I, I i did a thing yesterday oh put up some album covers from the year you were born and all it ever ends up with terence is people go abusing me for being young and it's like it's not my fault that i was born the year purple rain came out and you bought it in a shop how is that my fault <laughs> yes i was playing tracks from it on the radio i think so uh, certainly puts me in my place um now listener let's see if you know let's see if you can beat juliet this I week th- i think you can i had a bit of a slow start but i did have a good run towards the end happened so so the the opening i mean there were i was hampered by the fact that you chose such banging tunes that i have to get up to dance on a couple of occasions (laughs) we've got a gary newman and and cars to start with two points to start with number one in the uk in 1979 Mm. and the record when i used to play it in bars is always greeted with affection by people Mm. and and people that were born after it came out as well people even younger than me terence i know it's hard to believe (laughs) who um, who were very keen on it the second one i've got a blank i'm afraid i couldn't quite place it this is where the listeners are going to score. Yes, they are. It was Van Halen. Oh. And Jump. Oh, of course it was. I was just, I just struggled. The next one made me laugh out loud. So well done, Sir Terrence. That's Oh Lorry by the Alessi Brothers. That's right. Um, American listeners, what you call a truck, we call a lorry. <laughs> That was that was you. You are a renowned wit, Terrence. Always. Um, I, I got another blank for number four. You've played them a lot on your uh, smooth sailing show, yes. this band. Yeah, I, I don't uh, know. Okay, I'll give you the band and then see if you can get the okay. get the song for half a point. Right. Um, it's America. Oh, was it a horse with no? no. Horse with no um... Ventura Highway. Ah, uh, I, I wouldn't have got that. So, so, uh, so, so, yeah. Um, I've missed out on my two points. There, there is no Ventura Highway, by the way. The Pacific Coast Highway goes through Ventura County, but um, there is no actually road called Ventura Highway. There you are, fact fans. Honestly, people in rock bands making up roads just when you think they weren't wild enough. Let's see if you you can come back. Yes, I'm on. High. I'm on a better run now. Yeah. Uh, the Red Corvette by Prince. One of the great opening lines of all time. Um, I guess I should have known by the way you parked your car sideways that it wouldn't last. <laughs> great opening line. That is that is excellent. Um, after our own hearts, I feel. The next one, Drive by the Cars. 
the, the song that I suggest, well done, yes, you're right. The song that I suggest made far more people contribute to Live Aid yes. than any Bob Geldof swearing. Yes. Have you ever seen I know you were only a year old. No, Did I you have, see? I have seen it, but yes, I, I completely agree. It, but that was a very powerful Just, moment brought the day to a stop yes. you know it was all this sort of fun and oh look there's status quo there's adamant and then suddenly you know david bowie introduced this and yes. the day just sort of shivered um number seven well that is that's another point point at which i had to get up to dance thank you very much nice to hear that again and to be reminded again another tune which is a keystone of my live music sets when i when i dj and people are always very keen on this that is car wash by rose royce Number one on Billboard in 1976 and from the Grammy winning album. Yeah, absolutely. And also there was a film as well, wasn't there? Oh, yes. Yeah, it was from the soundtrack of the movie. Yeah, that's quite. Um, Eight, Road to Nowhere by Talking Heads. The only one from after you were born. (laughs) (laughs) And probably if I had to pick a tune from all of them, that would be near the top in terms of my favourite tunes on that. Song described by David Byrne as a joyful look at doom. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's a great description. That's a brilliant description. Right, David Byrne as well. Now, the next one, I, I think I've got the artist. The song is Route 66. Yes. I think that's the Rolling Stones version. It is the Rolling Stones version. And what's remarkable about this is it's from a time when the singles market was everything. It was really booming. This was their 12th single release in 18 months. Wow. That is Imagine prolific, that. Isn't it? That's- yeah. That is, which means they must have all bunched together in the chart at once, mustn't they? Really, because how would they how would they stop selling? Well, your... here's a peculiar thing, Jules. Um, I can't remember the the titles. Um, a few before it and a few after it, but they actually went on a run. I think it was the next time, and then went on a run of about three or four singles that didn't get in the charts at all. That's really strange. Out of those uh, twelve singles, about five didn't chart, and yet the, the the ones before it went to number one, and the ones after it went to number one. It's most peculiar. Strange. I've just, I've just I've just got it up in front of me now. I feel like I'm on one of those sort of news programs. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you're right. Route 66 did not chart in the UK. No, no. It's, it's 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 weird. They they had come on. I want to be a man and not fade away. We're all come on was 21 and the other two were top 20 hits. You better move on was a was an EP that didn't that didn't do anything. No. Carol didn't do anything. Tell me didn't do anything. It's all over now. Got to number one. Yeah. Time on my side didn't chart little red rooster got to number one heart of stone what a shame route 66 and under the ball didn't chart um the last time got to number one isn't that peculiar number one then three or four nowhere and then another number one maybe they were releasing too many singles too quickly well 12 in 18 months number 10 i got a feeling you're gonna get Yes, it's Drive My Car by our fabulous Beatles boys. From Rubber Soul, uh, described by George Harrison as his favourite Beatles album, it replaced the sound of music at number one on the UK album chart. Doesn't that tell a story of what was going on in the 60s? It really does. Absolutely. Let's see. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16 out of 20. Uh, That's all right, isn't it? Makes you a music know-all in our categories. I I mean, people have always called me a know-all, and not with the kindness that you... (laughs) So, so I'm quite pleased. Thank you. I think that I think the listener may may have uh, may have done a bit better there, but I think it's quite possible. Yes, who knows? But anyway, some marvelous tunes. But yes, I don't think I'll laugh at anything as much today as I did at hearing "Oh Laurie." I think <laughs> that's so good. Well done. <laughs> now, um, it's not all over yet for you, for you, Juliet. Uh, You've got think a, it's all over. It's a, not a chance yeah. for redemption here because we've got um, three bonus questions in a section called three bonus questions. Ah, oh, yeah, indeed. 
They're all multiple choice and they all relate to artists we just heard. Oh, nice. OK. The Beatles. You, oh. may, you may may remember them. To quote Martin Prince from The Simpsons, I'm aware of their work. <laughs> the Beatles interrupted the recording, uh, the recording sessions for Rubber Soul mm. on the 26th of October 1965. Why? And I'm going to give you four options oh, okay. on all of this. They didn't. They, they were recording Rubber Soul. Took their day off on the 26th of October 1965. Was it because John was in court facing a drugs charge? Ringo sliced the tip of a finger playing pinball. They went to Buckingham Palace to receive MBEs. George Harrison married Patty Boyd. I think the answer is C. The MBEs. You're quite hundred yeah. percent correct. They went to Buckingham Palace to receive their MBEs. Who sent? Who later sent that? One, one of them sent their MBE uh, back. Lennon sent his back in protest against the Vietnam War and right. cold turkey slipping down the charts, if I remember correctly. Right. Question number two out hmm? of three. In 1997, Gary Newman married Gemma O'Neill. Hmm. Was she the first wife of his uncle, a member of his fan club who asked for a photo? His flying instructor or his history teacher at school? Those are all plausible. That's the maddest thing, isn't it? I'm going to go for B. She was a fan. Two out of two, Julia oh, Harris. Oh, I mean, you know, it turns out rock stars really are that crass. Although, of course, I wish them every happiness. Oh, well, they, they've been together now 23 oh, that's years. Lovely. That's have so three nice. daughters. Oh, and. Awesome. Uh, um, they courted for uh, nine months before um, getting serious and everything. So it's a, it's quite that's a lovely story, really. Well, that's really nice. Hooray for them. Number three, the band that you didn't uh, didn't get, Van Halen. By the way, Van Halen's jump. When Glenn Hoddle came to manage Chelsea, he <laughs> yeah. insisted the team ran out to Van Halen's jump instead oh, of Liquidator. Oh, for goodness sake. Uh, that didn't last long. Anyway, it could have been worse. It could have been oh, Diamond Lights by Hoddle and Waddle. God, imagine. Question number three. Mm. When David Lee Roth left Van Halen, mm. who did Eddie Van Halen invite to replace him? Ooh. Four, four options. Mm. Richard Nixon's daughter, Trisha. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Nicklaus is the golfer. Jack Nicklaus's son, Jack Jr., Microsoft's Bill Gates sister Libby or Jan John McEnroe's wife Patty Richard Nixon's daughter Jack Nicklaus's son Bill Gates sister John McEnroe's wife I mean Who any any of those would have been good I think I you know I'd happily go with any this is a complete guess I is the answer D John McEnroe's wife yeah, you've scored three out of three you've redeemed yourself <laughs> the reason that I say that is that bizarrely John McEnroe's wife is believe is called Patty Smith she but is. she's not that Patty Smith she's the other Patty Smith but she also sings and I think when McEnroe has played in bands previously he called himself the Johnny Smith band I think to uh, to take her surname so so I mean they're all they're, are the others <laughs> musical or have you have you just no no not at all no I just uh, 
found uh, cultural equivalents uh, <laughs> which is great because they are i love the idea of, of richard nixon's daughter being in a band or or, or jack jr oh jack nicklaus jr that's that oh that that's just a that's just a great great idea what other bands can we recast as famous celebrity relatives in that would be great <laughs> and of course this patrick smith who as you say not to be confused mm. with um john McEnroe's wife patty smith had a billboard number two single um with don henley in 1992 sometimes love just ain't enough oh and she's spelt differently but as well s-m-y-t-h rather than an i but gosh that is yeah that is really um and i love the fact when you google her people i I put patty smith people all and also ask so she's got two y's she's patty with a y and smith with a y um the second most asked questions is patty smith and patty smith the same person no clearly the spelling spelling indicates that but the the the, the thought of the other patty smith uh, being married (laughs) to john McEnroe is just that would be that would be scenes wouldn't it to hashtag scenes to use the common vernacular i cannot see that ending well you did very well julia on the multiple choice three out of three thank you very much i i always have a random disaster every week oh, following on from the the great thriller incident of last week i'm glad that i can i can have it you know, i'm glad i redeemed myself after, after some difficult times coming up the club nobody wants to join the 27 club that's right after the strokes That easy, standing in the light field, standing in the light field, waiting for some action, waiting for some action. No, but why won't you come over here?
regular listeners to the podcast might recognise the fact that um, that I'm picking slightly older tunes at the moment. That's because I'm doing the great CD input 2020 where I'm trying to sort out all of the many hundreds of CDs that I own, putting things into, into good order and rediscovering albums that I've completely forgotten about. And I found First Impressions of Earth by The Strokes, which was kindly copied for me, um, kids to pay for music, uh, to add that clarifier. Uh, but I was at Law College years and years ago by a friend of mine and I'd never really listened to it very much as a result but um i think it's got some great tunes on it the the opener you only live once i nearly picked but i decided i'd go with juice box because i thought that was a just a great song and i think when they're on form the strokes really are a brilliant brilliant rock band so that is the strokes and juice box it's very odd that they've only made the billboard hot 100 once and it was with this <laughs> song which only made number 98 as the only billboard entry it's all but the funny thing is maybe maybe I, I i might throw out one of my theories about this feel free to write in and tell me i'm dreadful um i they were very big over here the strokes nine uh, hit singles over here yeah and they and it's when we still had a sort of a we still had the enemy and we still had the melody maker i think mm. at that point so we still had a weekly music press and they were very much hyped by the enemy as being this kind of huge band i've still got a copy of the face somewhere that's got them on on the front cover i think or, or certainly in it is the kind of because they you know they were all very cool but maybe we loved them over here in the uk we loved them maybe because they were very much harking back to that um cbgb sort of new york kind of era and they very much played on that and maybe we saw it as this kind of really cool thing maybe the americans had seen it all before maybe they just saw it as this kind of weary pastiche i don't know but but Mm. we we really embraced them it was almost like bush in reverse (laughs) we really embraced them over here and yet they they never seem to have made they've done the big tv shows i think but they've never seemed to have made much of a a mark in the US whereas they whereas I think they 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 kind of surprise released an album which was rather preticently called the um, the new ad normal I think um that came out during lockdown that that I think has sold quite well over here it's um it's very it's very strange isn't it maybe maybe the americans see what they're doing as a bit tired whereas we we haven't grown up in that culture i mean new york was always exotic and far away so maybe that's why we embrace them i don't know all of their albums do better in the UK too. But good, good band, really great band. Enjoy yeah, that very much. Perhaps one of the oddest locations for the Blue Plaques, by the way, I always want to say Blue Plagues. I don't know why. Um, for the Blue Plaques that English heritage bestow upon famous addresses, mm. it's um, it's one of two right next to each other in Brook Street, Mayfair in London. All right. number, number 25, there's a plaque commemorating George Friedrich Handel. But next door, at number 23, one remembering Jimi Hendrix as he lived there in 1968 to 69. Strange bedfellows, uh, one might think. Um, Since Hendrix, uh, he died so young in 1970, any number of esoteric stories have emerged about him Mm -hmm. and in particular his time in London. And one of the best and most well-known is that the huge number of wild parakeets now seen and most definitely heard in London yes. and the home counties is because Jimi Hendrix released a pair of them in Carnaby Street in 1967 That's and they've gone on <laughs> multiplying since then. It's it's never been proven one way or the other whether Hendrix uh, 
uh, was responsible for this. Ornithologists insist it's very unlikely that Hendrix is responsible for their massive population mm-hmm. growth. But these days, sitting in the garden in Berkshire or Surrey, it sounds like you're in the tropical jungle in the evening because they, they, they're very noisy. Oh, I bet. Um, But then with Hendrix, there was the playing guitar with his teeth and behind his back and the setting fire to his guitar at the end of his set, Um, all of which people remember Jimi Hendrix for. But he only had a brief time of stardom. Within four years of his first single, he was dead. Now, the the author, Philip uh, Norman, Phil Norman, who has previously written well-respected biographies of the Mm -hmm. Beatles, the Stones, Elton John, amongst others. He has a new biography coming out later this month, Wild Thing, the short spellbinding life of Jimi Hendrix. Mm. And it's to coincide with the 50th anniversary of Hendrix's uh, death. Now, in the book, Philip Norman explores a variety of theories that suggest that Hendrix's death wasn't an accident. And it's, it's put forward that he died as a result of either intervention by the American Secret Service, which is really bizarre, or the mafia. But both are given credibility by Philip Philip Norman. It's, you know, they're not just wild stories. There's a lot of background information as to why those those theories have have some credibility. It's an interesting book. But it does sound interesting. Yeah, it's worth investigating. Now, Hendrix, of course, died at the age of 27 and thus joins the notorious 27 Club Jewels. Do you think there's anything in this suggestion that rock stars are almost doomed to die at 27? Well, I've been thinking about this because I'm thinking there must be some science or logic behind this because it is really strange. Looking at this, this I've, I've been doing a bit of research, looking at various articles, and I've got one up now that has got six people in front of me that all died at the age of 27, and they are left to right, Janis Joplin, Kurt Cobain from Nirvana, Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones, oh, that sounds quite catchy, uh, Jimi Hendrix, um, Jim Morrison from The Doors, and Amy Winehouse, who all died at the age of 27. Now, there are various. You say that that phil norman's sort of come up with quite you know credible reasons to slightly Mm. wacky theories there are loads of really strange theories online involving satanism and tarot and all kinds of um slightly unexpected stuff Uh, part of me thinks are people trying to write this into a story yes six these six big rock stars pop stars died when they were 27 quite a lot of pop stars and rock stars don't die when they're 27 in fact the very vast majority don't die at the age of 27 so maybe these few examples people are trying to make and it's a it's it's a good story it's an interesting story people we're talking about it now aren't we the the idea that that people you know that, that 27 is this sort of mythical age and part of me even if it is a thing, which part of me thinks maybe it's being written into a thing on relatively little evidence when, when, when you know, when the vast majority of people don't in the rock, rock industry die at that age. Robert Johnson as well, being the, being the other person that died mm-hmm. at the age of 27, apparently poisoned by somebody's jealous husband, so the story goes. Um, part of me thinks, well, maybe that's the time at which, and this article, I think it's the adolescent website, points out that all of these people that passed away, perhaps with the exception of Johnson, but we don't know a lot about Johnson it's all very shrouded in mystery but but sticking with these six they all died at 
well, you could say the peak of their powers, really, or certainly at the height of their popularity and at the height of their fame. They were all enormous by this point. And part of me thinks, well, well if you do start off in, in the business of, of rock and pop music, it's largely a young person's game, isn't it? That's not really changed o- over time. Uh, and particularly once we hit the 60s, it became something that younger people did and were able to become successful at relatively quickly. Maybe by the time you get to 27, you've got a few years of success behind you and in the rock and pop music world success inevitably means substances doesn't it by and large so it mm-hmm. means drink it means drugs it means general high living doesn't it and and living life at a very fast pace um maybe at that point you've made enough money to be able to destroy yourself i don't know but um but certainly it's interesting the fact that there are that it was around that time makes me that you know that, that these people have passed away at the same time makes me think that perhaps rock and pop careers have a certain trajectory that 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 move in the same way and maybe therefore around that age you're likely to have reached a certain point of fame and success in your career and the way that you manage that you know then then decides well I was going to say well whether or not you live or die I suppose to put it very bluntly but um a part of me doesn't want to think that it does exist just simply because there's been so much nonsense written about it but part of me thinks well maybe if you look at it in terms of a general sort of trajectory of how a career moves maybe that makes more sense of it people hit certain points at a roughly similar time I think that's that's very incisive what you say, because although I've got a couple of statistics here, which I'm going to throw at us, which seem to disprove the 27 thing. I think the point that you've just made kind of um, actually comes back at it because um, a few years ago, um, Deanna Kenny's professor of psychology and music at the University of Sydney, it's a very unusual combination isn't it, it professor is. of psychology and music she sounds good that you should get why, why am i doing this with you you should get her on she'd be much well better. it's interesting because i think you've made a, a point that she didn't explore because um she wrote a paper looking at the ages at which pop stars die by const- she had a study of twelve thousand six hundred and sixty five musicians that's who died between size i like that that's a nice size sample yeah that's right people who died musicians who died between 1950 and 2014 hmm. um and and she did conclude that um, both male and female pop musicians died far younger than the average population, but not with any significance at age 27. In fact, of that survey, survey of the 12,000 odd, only 1.3 percent of musicians died at 27. The spread was right through the age ranges, with the most common age being 56 years old, 2.3 percent. That is interesting. Yeah. Well, that's the end of the stats. But I think where your point was is very well made. And as I say, incisive is. That okay, these musicians, 12,665, they wouldn't all have been at the level of fame of uh, um, Jim Morrison and Amy Winehouse and so on and so forth. And I think that's the key to it. So despite these statistics, it could be that if you're so unbelievably suddenly wealthy, famous and have access to every possible um, addictive form yeah. that you could possibly have, then maybe if you become famous at sort of 19, 20, 21, by the time you come to 27, you've tried everything 
your life could very well be in a spiral as nearly every single one of those mm. people that you mentioned was so maybe that that's the defining thing that uh, this lady that, that Deanna Kenny didn't establish was that whilst it's not significant 27 with all musicians perhaps 27 is very significant with very very famous yeah and you know musicians with tons of money and resources absolutely and also maybe as well there's a firstly thank you for being so generous about my contribution that's very nice of you secondly maybe maybe to sort of enlarge that point a bit more looking at the people that become very famous in the in the rock and pop world maybe there is an argument for the fact that in order to become a really big star you have to have a level of commitment to a career and a lifestyle let's face it rock and pop lifestyle even if you're not filling yourself with drugs it can be quite anti-social in that most of your work is done at night isn't it that lovely charlie watts phrase that uh, being on tour in a rock band for 25 years is five years of playing and 20 years of sitting around i mean it is you know and temptation waits doesn't it when you're when you're going through you you're getting the chemical well no, sorry the natural serotonin high of playing on stage and then trying to find something to do with that adrenaline and energy afterwards but what maybe there is something inherent in these people that we've mentioned in order to be very famous it's the same way as comedians really i suppose if you're you know looking for attention in that kind of way is there is there something in not not I don't want to say inherently flawed, but there's something slightly different in your psychological makeup, I think. And maybe the more famous you are, the more pronounced that is, and vice versa. The more pronounced that is, the more famous you become because you don't necessarily have limits in what you'll seek, if you see what I mean. Yes, absolutely. I think um, Miss 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 Kenny, the the professor, she has a really good, sort of poignant. Um, addendum to her survey she concluded conclusion was that with musicians often dying much younger than uh, the general population um she says there's an ever-growing need to discover ways to recognize and assist young musicians in stress which i think is, is a you know a nice point but i'm thinking that's easier said than done because living life to excess has been the lifestyle of choice for musicians since Hildegard von Bingen uh, discovered hallucinogenics, you know. Absolutely. Well, that, that's a name I didn't think I'd hear on this podcast. Today. Thank <laughs> you for broadening my mind, if you pardon the pun in that context. But um, uh, the other thing that you said, that's, that's a really interesting point. Firstly, that will become very key I think in the next few years as it becomes apparent the difficulties that the live music industry is now in which we're hearing a lot about through the music venues trust and that sort of thing also I wonder if and, and this is probably a topic for another time but I wonder just as a sort of a signpost at the end of this we hear lots of statistics saying that a lot of young people don't drink now that we hear that, that, that this is almost becoming not exactly a teetotal generation. Maybe this is partly to do with the demise of nightclubs. I don't know. But that young people are less interested in drinks. So I wonder if we will have a new generation of pop stars that make the 27 Club defunct just simply because they don't do that sort of thing. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's that's true. And it's certainly from a, a sort of sample of the young people I know, that's, um, you know, that's their lifestyle of choice as well i think um coming up is it a good idea to ask your brother to join your band <laughs> i wish i'd never said anything uh, very rash comment that's next after this brand new single from mac McAnally. should i go to work should i go fishing whatever i do it's gonna be all right when the sun comes up 
mission to laugh and love and try to keep it light cause every day is once in a lifetime once in a lifetime every day and right now just might be the right time this on a american radio station during the week and immediately really loved it it was written when the two featured artists bumped into each other when going out for breakfast uh, a few months ago from the upcoming album of the same name the new single by mac McAnally featuring drake white once in a lifetime i really i really very much enjoyed that and also that story about them bumping into each other on yeah. the way that's really nice isn't it that that that's a very natural style story isn't it well so and so was here and we were here so we thought we'd hook up but no that's that's i i enjoy i'm not a natural sort of country pop fan but everything that 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 comes across our radar on this podcast Mm. either by you or our listeners i like very much Mm. it's a great track a couple of weeks ago when we played a track by the band embrace Mm. um you rashly said <laughs> something along the lines of how supportive and generally ace it must be to have brothers or sisters in your band. Oh, I, I, see, I, I forget that you keep the receipt of everything yeah, I say this podcast. I really, I, yeah, yeah I'm, I make a note of everything. So I, I made this mental note of this because immediately into my mind came the Gallagher brothers, of course, who have been throwing 
metaphorical daggers at each other for over 10 years. Mm. Um, Tim Finn left his brother Neil in Crowded House in 1991. And in UB40, it's difficult to track which Campbell brother is in which splinter group <laughs> of the band and who's talking or not talking to his brothers. I love the fact, by the way, that during the uh, somewhat ill-tempered Labour leadership contest of 2016, where Owen Smith uh, ill-fatedly ran against Jeremy Corbyn, um, we discovered during that that uh, long and, and tedious campaign that not only were there two different versions of UB40 now with one brother in each but also that each faction of and I use this word deliberately each faction of UB40 came out for a different leadership candidate <laughs> <laughs> that kind of sums it up really uh, Tom Fogarty had a long-standing animosity with his brother John leaving Credence Clearwater mm. Revival in 1971 never to return so I put it to the jury that it's an act <laughs> of recklessness to form a band with your brother I mean, so I would I would come back to that and say, yes, I partly agree with you. Let's put it this way. Forming a band with family is either going to go really right or really wrong. There doesn't seem to be an in-between, does there? It's, it's, it's either going to be brilliant or it's going to be atrocious. Or more accurately, it's going to be brilliant for a bit and then you fall out and it's really atrocious. Um, interestingly, there have been, I think there have been bands, when it works, when family bands work, I think they can they can be extremely lucrative. The Cause, for, for example, mm-hmm. all three sisters and a brother that worked very well um the bgs they seem to have enjoyed success for a very long time that's 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 a good thing well think- robin left in a strop in 1969 and did a few recordings on his own and was very vociferous in the music press about his brothers but to be fair they did reconcile very quickly yes i was gonna say so so you know it's a bit of a roller coaster i think however this is my favourite uh, story, I think, in terms of band splitting and also siblings. This is a band which had siblings in it, but weirdly, they weren't the problem. Oh. You, you or, or, or at least if they, or, or rather, them falling out within each other was mm. not problem so you might recall 90s and latterly sort of noughties comeback kids all saints oh yes, yes, uh, yes a girl band um which had four members it had chasney lewis melanie blatt and the sisters nicole and natalie appleton both famous for marrying various rock stars i think one married robbie williams and the other one married did they marry liam gallagher she married liam yes. gallagher yeah yeah, and, and uh, one man was one, in a relationship yes, with anyway. and then it all went terribly wrong. Mm. But having having said that, so so the sisters they were also made with Melanie Blatt an ill-advised performance in in that film. Was it Honest, the the, the gangster film that Dave Stewart directed, which Chasnay Lewis was sensible enough to stay away from that. But anyway, the Appleton sisters, uh, Chasnay Lewis and, and Melanie Blatt were seen as the the more sensible songwriting members. I think Chasnay Lewis was the main creative force. Very with much so, yeah. By Melanie Blatt, it was them that originally formed the band themselves, and then somehow came across the Appleton sisters. I think they might have been friends of Melanie Blatt from stage school or something, Sylvia Young or something like that. Anyway, they they all ended up in this kind of band together. But it was always the case that the that the, the Melanie Blatt and Chazza Lewis were seen as you know the serious ones, and the other two would go to the opening of an envelope. And it was obvious that it was always going to go go a bit wrong. Anyway, it ended up being this this huge kind of falling out um, between Chasnay Lewis and one of the Appleton sisters. Um, the Appleton sisters formed their own alliance, you know, together. So that, so they, weirdly, having them in the band was not the issue. <laughs> there was it, famous, and they have pretty much admitted this is true, things were not good between the band. They were not getting on very well. They went to a photo shoot 
and which there was a rail of clothes that they could choose to wear. And uh, one of the, uh, I think it was one of the Appleton sisters um, and Shazne Lewis had such a bad row about who got to wear a certain jacket that the band pretty much split up on the spot. This <laughs> <Thank laughs> is my favourite ever. This is why a, this is why a, a band split up story. I think it is so ridiculous. It actually unusually, um, it, yeah, it was a row between Natalie Appleton and Shazne Lewis over who got to wear a certain jacket. I mean, it's always the straw that breaks the camel's back, isn't it? Either it's always little things in relationships too. Every row about that starts about you know why are you putting the knife in that drawer? It doesn't go there. Will always be half an hour later, and you never listen, and this isn't working. So so I love the fact that there was such a bad row in a band that had siblings in it but it was not between the siblings and maybe that's a that's a possibility maybe if you've got a family sort of um link in a in a band maybe that excludes everyone else and maybe maybe the problem isn't members of family falling out with each other maybe it's the family bonding together to fall out with everyone else i don't know i think it is possible to have bands with successful families in but i think like you say either really it really works or it really doesn't so it's an off-the-cuff argument about a jacket. Stand back, Terence, you're under arrest. <laughs> yeah, so it's not just sibling rival- rivalry that leads to the breakup of a band. I mean, it came as much as a, of a surprise to Mick Ronson, Trevor Boulder and Woody Woodmansey as to the fans mm-hmm. in Hammersmith Odeon when David Bowie uh, said it was the end of the band um, in, in 1973. And we've previously explored the relationship between Roger Waters and David Gilmore. And there are similarities with New Order when Peter Hook thought the band had broken up only for the others to carry on without him. But I think one of the worst examples, and this still makes me kind of shudder to this this day, (laughs) this um, one of the worst examples was with the band Japan when Mick Carnes, um, perhaps ironically, Japanese girlfriend, Yuka (laughs) Fuji. Really, could you? (laughs) <laughs> um, moved in with David Sylvian halfway through a tour um, le- wow. left Mick, Mick Khan overnight to, to move in with David Sylvian and Steve Jansen of the band said uh, and I quote the tension backstage on that tour was unbelievable <laughs> I think that's it's probably quite <laughs> my, believable my, my sympathies to Steve Jansen frankly imagine that, being in the middle yeah. of that they'd all gone to school together oh. and uh, I, I mean I just imagine breakfast in the hotel traveling to the gig on a bus oh, tour bus yes. the sound checks you know absolutely horrifying so you don't have to be brothers or sisters to endure a catastrophic fallout in a, in a band absolutely maybe maybe you know maybe there is no correlation maybe we could debunk it as per the 27 club theory I don't know but basically dynamics in bands are super weird I think the strangest dynamic I've ever heard of in any band it seemed to work for a very long time but it was just an unusual situation there was a band of you might remember JJ 72 they had some success in in the late 90s early noughties they were one of those sort of enemy indie bands they they had a, a, a setup. There was a, a trio of three of them. Um, it was a, a chap called Mark. Mark Greeny was the. Uh, they were an Irish band. And Mark Greeny, who's the singer, Fergal Matthews, who played the drums, and the bass player was a girl called Hilary Woods. Now, Mark Greeny was at that time. I don't know if he still is going out with Hilary's twin sister. Oh Lord. Which is oh, a really Lord. strange, strange setup, isn't it? And and it, if there's only three of you in a band, there's not a lot of places to hide, are they? So 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 yeah, maybe sometimes there's an issue if you've got people outside the band involved. I don't know. 
Um, it's just brought to mind. I, I just remembered I was lucky enough to go to a recording of the George Holland's later a few years ago with um, the Silver Seas when they when they were mm. on it. And, and funnily enough, I spent the evening standing next to Joey Barton, the footballer, which was an yeah. even more bizarre. parents, But where I was standing was right next to where the civil wars uh, were, were going to oh, perform. Gosh, yes. And of course, they famously broke up as a, a duo a, a few weeks after that, actually. But the thing that I remember, because I had no idea at the time that there was such tensions between them, mm. but it was the most awkward thing. They were both standing next to me. Um, you, know, you know, it's in that sort of semicircle where they perform and um, waiting for their for their turn. And there was I, I just sort of picked up on it at the time that they were they weren't looking at each other, they weren't talking mm. to each other. And you could almost I know people say this, you could sense the electricity in the room, but you really could. You could just feel the sort of anger and animosity and tension. Gosh. So it wasn't a surprise to me when a few weeks later we found that uh, they were to be no more. No, quite. Yes, I agree. A very strange situation, isn't it? We'd uh, we'd like to thank you. Uh, very much for right, listening yes. once again yeah absolutely thanks for tuning in it's uh i was working out the other day i think this is the longest run we've ever had without Must a be. Stop. it's Must uh be. it's but but uh, hello to david wright who, who got in touch to say how he very much enjoyed it he's very pleased we haven't had any weeks off put it that way so it's lovely that people oh, that, that we can be sort of helpful in our own way really during this what continues to be a very odd time indeed now jules if you're if you're not flying out to Warner Brothers in Burbank, <laughs> I'm guessing you're going to be hosting your radio shows. Yeah, do you know, I thought, why go and make loads of money when I could sit in my <laughs> spare room and make none at all and just have fun with uh, with people that listen to my shows? Uh, I do a couple of radio shows at the weekend. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you will be more than familiar than that. And as if you follow me on social media, I'm sorry I bang on about it. But anyway, um, I, I've got a little Mixler channel. If you go to the site Mixler.com, which is M-I-X-L-R.com, um, and you can search my name on there and sign up to my channel or just, you know, just keep keep that in your, in your sort of favourites folder or whatever you want to do. Then on Saturday evening from five till seven, I do the Saturday social, um, which is Northern Salt, Motown, Mod, etc. And this week, the theme is Stacks of Stacks, everything you'll hear. Oh, lovely. Oh, that's going to be good. That'll be quite quite good, I would think. Um, you can listen to old shows. There's a show reel button on my page. If you press that, you can catch up with last week's all Motown number ones edition as well. Um, and then on Sunday evening from seven till nine, I do a slightly different show called Smooth Sailing. I don't know why everything starts with S, but anyway, um, it's called Smooth Sailing, and it is uh, yacht rock, easy listening, classic pop. Nothing too. When I say nothing too challenging, I think it's genuinely great music, but it's just stuff that's quite relaxing, quite upbeat, quite uplifting, that sort of thing. And again, you can listen to previous shows on the on the mixer show real thing. And like this podcast, it's completely free. Absolutely. No, no Patreon, no yeah. sponsorship, no can I, you pledge I, this or that. We really just part, part of me thinks we should set up a Patreon, but no. given that we're five years in, I think that ship sailed, doesn't it? No, I think it's a I think it's a great I think it's a very deliberate move to not yeah. do any of that. I'm exactly. I just, I'm I'm never keen on no, um you know sort of goals. Yeah. Please send us this, you know, and you join us. Um, to send us a 50p postal, <laughs> we can send you a newsletter of our movements, but that uh, that aside, a badge with Terence's face on it. But uh, yeah, that aside, yes, perhaps not. Um, the excellent Caro Emerald to play us out.
Yeah, I, I really, uh, we've had a tomato tomato moment. I've been calling her Caro for years, but, but but she probably is Caro. Maybe I'm just trying to be. Caro for Caroline is how I took it. Ah, see, that's interesting. I, I suspect, as with all matters of pronunciation and in life generally, you're probably <laughs> more right than me. But anyway, I really like this. Um, I, again, the big CD sort made me find this this album, Deleted Scenes in the Cutting Room Floor. Uh, the opening track, That Man, if you've ever watched any continuity announcement on BBC for Strictly Come Dancing, you've probably heard it in the background. Very much part of the kind of the electro swing movement that was briefly popular, uh, sort of at the end of the noughties, beginning of the tens. Um, Every track on this album is a winner, I think, but I'm particularly enjoyed this. And it kind of spoke spoke to the times to me as well, as everything continues to not be the same. Um, but it's a very upbeat number. Maybe it's what my friend calls a sad banger. I don't know. But anyway, this is this is a Caro Emerald. Caro or Caro, potato, tomato, emerald. And uh, this is stuck. Thank <laughs> you. 
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>